0: All right. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 12. We've been in Corinthians for a while. Somehow I've managed to keep the weeks, make the weeks line up with the chapters. This is week 12 and chapter 12. It may not stay that way but it's a strange alignment, all right? Um, so we're getting into a section in 1 Corinthians uh, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's really not for that reason, not the gifts, but other reasons which I'll get to in a minute. I think it's really the heart, this chapter and chapter 13, which is next, this is really the heart of the book. This is where Paul kind of starts to lay out his solutions to this messed up church. If you recall, if you've been with us, the church in Corinth is an absolute mess, primarily because they're they're heavily divided over all sorts of things, starting with their favorite teacher, their favorite celebrity teacher that that you know comes through every now and then, and they go, oh, he's my guy, and you know I watch him online all the time, and I've got all his books, and he, he, my pastor's okay, but but I really like this guy, you know, and I'm always telling the you should really listen to him. Maybe be a little bit more like him if if you could, right? That's that's one issue. And the other issue is that they've got cultural issues with the whole head covering thing and, and all of that's going on and a lack of gender distinctions and all this stuff going on and, and then and then they've gotten they've got they've gotten all these gifts, right? They've gotten filled with the Holy Spirit and they're super excited and it's sort of like a bunch of five year olds running around with power tools. Right? Imagine giving I don't know. I won't name any names, but one of these kids that were up here handed them a big chainsaw and started it up for them, and saying, "Go to town." It would be heavily destructive, wouldn't it? And and then if you gave them all different tools, what would they probably do? They would start fighting about who has the best one. Well, I really wanted the chainsaw, and all I got was a screwdriver. I don't like my screwdriver. I'd prefer and that's not fair, and then they start fighting and pushing and shoving, and this is kind of the vibe, okay? This is kind of what's happening in Corinth amid all of this wonderful stuff. Paul planted this church. He loves this church, and it's been doing great stuff. The fact that they have all of this powerful gifts is pretty amazing, but they're kind of doing the wrong thing with those gifts, and that's what he's going to address, okay? So this is a very divided church, Um, which is what motivated Paul to write the letter to begin with. And so here he's going to start kind of giving his prescription for what they should do instead of what they've been doing, okay? That's what we're going to get into this morning. So it's a terrible irony that the verses I'm going to read for you have been some of the most divisive scriptures (laughs) in church history. That, like, we even have, like, a word that we call charismatic, which, which means in the most simplest for, form, is that we believe that these gifts are for today. And then we have sort of, a, we'll, we'll say kind of arrogantly, the non-charismatics, like the whole world is divided up into people like us and people not like us, right? But but this is, and, and there's been a lot of arguing, some of it not so nice over the years. Things will calm down a little bit, and then somebody will have a conference, and then it'll blow up again, and, and it'll die down a little bit, and then somebody will have another conference, and then it'll get... And it's ridiculous because Paul, this is not, Paul was writing this chapter to say, don't be like that. And then we were like, you know, I think we should fight about this, right? And here we are in 2022 with the same problem. So I'm, I'm hoping we can clear that up a little bit this morning. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. So before we read uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 12, I just want to give you one little translation note. Uh, that I think will help us a lot, which is when you see the word gifts, and the English word gifts, the, the Greek word there is charismata, which is a plural word for charis, which means grace. So literally this would be graces, the graces of the Spirit. Now that helps us because it points, makes, puts the emphasis not on the gift, but on the giver of the gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And that is Paul's solution to their division, okay, as we'll see. His solution is to say there's one spirit. So there's that, and then look for the word one, O-N-E. You will see it repeated over and over and over again, and it creates a pattern that forces you to see what's real, what Paul's real point is. Okay. All right, so let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual graces, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Just pause there for a second. This is a little unclear as to what he's talking about. It seems like there's some specific situation or people in the church that he's addressing that are doing something, but the principle is clear enough, right? The Holy Spirit always points to Christ and points to his lordship over us, but then any false spirit, because there can be false spirits and false gifts, false expressions of those demonic spirits, and they are not submitted to Christ, okay? Okay. And that's how you tell the difference. So I think there's, one is Jesus is Lord. That's important. Number two, there can be false expressions of power that we need to be aware of, all right? And it looks like something like that's going on in the church on top of everything else, all right? All right, verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts or graces, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's stop there. So just a quick, fast definition of some of those gifts, all right? Word of wisdom would be like solving problems or knowing what to do by the Spirit. I'm going to say by the Spirit over and over again, right? So we're not talking about your own, like, experience or know-how, like, I've, I've done this before, or, I've, or I learned about this in school, or I read a book about it, and so I know what to do. This is Holy Spirit-inspired, knowing what to do or how to solve a problem. It just sort of comes out of your mouth. It's how your elder team got through the last two years. <laughs> Never knew what to do, just did things that seemed right, and it turned out, God blessed it. I'd say that's like a gift of wisdom, right? Faith, having extraordinary faith, usually for a specific thing by the Spirit. Gifts of healings. This is an interesting one. The word healing there is plural. So gifts of healings, meaning each healing is a gift. It's not a, there's not a gift that you have that everybody you pray for will get healed. Though it does seem like some people just God you gives lots of gifts of healings to more than others. But this is saying, Paul is saying, like each gift, each time you pray for somebody and they get healed, you would say that's, that was a gift of healing. The next one I might ha- have it, but that one I had it, right? Miracles, breaking natural laws by the Spirit, like one example that just immediately comes to mind is Peter walking on the water, that's a miracle. Prophecy, the Spirit speaking through someone for the building up of the church. We'll talk about that more, prophecy and tongues in chapter 14. He has some more specific things to say about it there. Tongues speaking a heavenly language unknown to mankind or a human language unknown to the speaker by the Spirit. An interpretation of tongues will be the ability to interpret tongues into your native language. But what I want to show you is none of that's the point of this chapter. The point here is not to analyze each of the gifts and decide which one you have as as if we're handing out power tools and everybody gets to have one that is not the point here and that's how often we've we charismatics have treated those verses and we we there are a whole like test you can spiritual gift tests which are really personality tests with the gifts kind of imposed on them and using that language instead of the language of psychology and so maybe these are not personality types either each one and they're not natural gifts They're given by the Spirit. They are manifestations, Paul calls them, of the Spirit. So, one way you can say is they're graces of the Spirit. Another word you could use is manifestations. It's how the Holy Spirit expresses himself through you. It is not how you express yourself through the Holy Spirit. That's a whole different thing. So, this is all about the Holy Spirit and what he's doing through you, expressing the heart of Christ and the mission of getting the mission of Christ done. Through you supernaturally. Gordon Fee says, great quote, Paul's argument is entirely ad hoc. I mean, just off the top of his head. Reflecting the Corinthian situation itself, therefore his own concern is not with instruction about spirit gifting as such, their number and kinds. That is the fascination of a later time, our time. Indeed, the list of nine items is neither carefully worked out nor exhaustive. It is merely representative of the spirit's diverse ways of being present among them. So we get a more list in verse 28, which we'll get to in a minute. We have Romans 12, it's another list. Ephesians 4.11, it's another list. None of them are meant to be an exhaustive list where you can put them together and give people a test so they can figure out what gift they have. That's not his point. That's a very kind of Americanized kind of pers- approach to what he's saying. And I'm not saying it's wrong to define them. Okay? I'm just saying, don't miss the point. Don't miss the forest for the trees. In fact, what you'll find is when you try to really distinctly categorize and catalog all the gifts, you'll find this weird, frustrating kind of overlap. And every time I've taught it this way, people have gotten frustrated, like, well, what's functionally the difference between a word of knowledge, for example, where I just know things by the Spirit that I didn't have any other way of knowing and prophecy? Like, I don't really know. It's it's a fine distinction, you know. One is just information, and the other is, I don't, you know. And Paul's, I feel like Paul's like, why are you doing this, <laughs> right? That's not how I was approaching it. What's the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom? There's a lot of overlap there. Is wisdom a form of prophecy, since God often speaks through wisdom? Haven't you found that to be true in your life? Maybe more often than not, the way God shows me what his will is, is through Wisdom. Wisdom he gives me. Wisdom he gives people around me to say, I think this is what God's showing you. That's very prophetic. But it doesn't come out as God told me. It comes out as, it just seems like what you should do is, they both are directional, right? And so if you get too far into this, like, fine, detailed cataloging, you get very confused and very frustrated. And you're like, well, I don't even know what gift I have. not the point. Instead, Paul seems to be simply rattling off a representative list instead of teaching them or us a framework of defined gifts that we can choose from like a menu. This is because I think the definitions are almost immaterial and unimportant. The point here, the emphasis, is not on the graces. It's on where the graces come from. It's on the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit, and are you allowing Him to work through you however He pleases? The point is we need more of him working through us and less of us. That's Paul's point. And he says this is what unifies you. He, he graces you with various things. He uses everybody differently in their own kind of unique way. He gives you one thing and you another, and it comes out of you differently, and he's working through everybody, but when you put it all together, you're supposed to get, at least, a complete picture of what Jesus is like and how Jesus works. And the mission of Jesus gets done. And the church is who she's supposed to be. This is how we get unified and stay distinct at the same time. We need to receive, welcome, and submit to the Holy Spirit in whatever way he wants to manifest himself through us. I think it's interesting that no Christian that I know of is denying most of the gifts of the Spirit. I like to say it's annoying to say it this way, but I'm going to do it because my brother is Peggyan and I know it will annoy him. This is that every Christian is about 75% charismatic. <laughs> right? Nobody's going around going, I don't believe in faith. The gift of faith is for today. I don't believe that wisdom is for today. I don't believe we should be serving one another because the gift of service is not for today. Nobody's saying that. We're really just arguing about tongues and prophecy, which ironically is exactly what they were having a problem with. And it's while Paul has dedicated an entire chapter just to those two gifts. Nothing has changed. That should either depress you or encourage you, depending on your perspective. It encourages me. But look, everybody's 75% charismatic. There's just a couple of gifts that we're fighting about, But So why are we even fighting, right? We want Jesus to be Lord, but only in the ways that match our preferences. And I think charismatics and non-charismatics are equally guilty of this. I think it's where some of the push comes from to over-define the gifts. Because we feel like if we can understand everything about those gifts and define them in very clear, distinct ways, then knowledge gives me power. And then I can control, I can understand what's going to happen. So if you say, well, God gives, gave me, I want the gift of tongues. And so if God gives me tongues, I can predict what's going to happen. Or tongues freaks me out, so I don't want the gift of tongues. And so what you've done is you've not made it about the Holy Spirit, you've made it about what your preferences are. And what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable, what you want the most. Or maybe you grew up in a very prophetic kind of church environment where the prophets were the heroes, and they're the ones that had the cool, whatever they said seemed like straight from heaven, and so you're like, I want, one, I want that gift, and I don't have it. And so I'm not one of the cool kids anymore. I guess all I got is a gift of service. Well, then we find out, and 2020 that it was the people with the gift of service that were suddenly the heroes the people who could twiddle the knobs and focus a camera and get it to beam out into outer space or whatever onto the internet those were the suddenly the heroes and it was the people on stage that were now suddenly dependent on the the, the geek squad which is usually just people who love to serve want to look for the servants look at the geek squad and the people back there that are not in this room right now those are usually the servants and the whole thing got flipped and i love it because it showed us how god sees the gifts you're not in control or you shouldn't be you're not we have to reject our culture's doctrine of self-creation which is i define myself I create my own identity. My identity is is a choose-your-own-adventure book. And I can make all my own choices and decide, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? How do I want to be? What do I want to look like? What do I want to do with my life? And when we start telling our children in kindergarten, asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? That is the wrong question question is, who does God want you to be when you grow up? That's an entirely different question. And so we take this idea of self-creation, self-actualization, we sanctify it with some Christian words, and then we force it into scriptures like this, and we say, who am I? What gift do I have? What's my shape? And the question is not who do you want to be or what gifts do you want or how do you want God to use you. The question is God, let God do whatever he wants. Write him a blank check. If you say it, I believe it. If you say it's good, I'll believe it's good no matter what. So let's read on. Chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. That's not a ranking, all right? That's just a list. Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. The more excellent way is chapter 13. Not everybody has all the gifts. Okay, so do you get the metaphor here? It's simple, but really profound. We're a body. Think about an actual physical body. The head, that's Jesus. Thank goodness, because I'm pretty thick-headed. I should not be in charge. Jesus is in charge. He's the head. Where the head goes, the body goes. It's the director. It's the power center. it's It's where the deciding happens. He's the decider, as George Bush famously said. Not he's not talking about Jesus, talking about himself. So here, where do we fit? We're the rest of the body, and we're not the whole body, we're little parts, we're little parts of it. I'm like the joint on the tip of the pinky finger, right? I'm, I don't even get a whole finger. Like, I'm just this little bit, this useless little tip right here that I can never get to do right when I play guitar. It just sticks out like this and does nothing. Like, m- maybe, that's, maybe you're with me on the finger, right? And it's just the worst finger, right? Somebody's the thumb, different parts, they're all important, right? Even though maybe this finger is at least, seems the least useful, if, if somebody comes along and chops it off in some kind of machinery, what does my entire body do? My entire body hurts. My entire body stops what it's doing and can only feel and focus on the fact that it's now missing a finger, it has been removed. It doesn't think to itself, that, that pink, I didn't need that pinky anyway. I mean, I wasn't really using it. I mean, I can, I can pick with these fingers. I don't need it, right? That's not what you think. You think, that hurts! And you go running around, probably like a crazy person, trying to figure out how to fix it, right? This is how the body of Christ is supposed to be. So the first thing you need to hear is I think a lot of times people think my presence doesn't matter. I'm not doing anything today at church. I'm not teaching Sunday school. I'm not you know bringing food. I'm not doing anything on the stage. So it just seems like my presence doesn't really matter. I'm just the annoying pinky that just hangs there and does nothing. I'm the appendix of the body of Christ. So what does it matter if I go or not? What does it matter if I am present or not? What does it matter if I reach out to people or not? I'm just not that important. And that is a lie. I think most of the time when people drift away, it's because it started with not like being, I don't like this. Some people are like that. But most of the time, it's because you actually believed at some point that you didn't matter. And what the Holy Spirit says through this metaphor is every single body part matters. Every single one. This is also how we need to see each other. I need to look at other people, even the ones who don't seem to be producing like we want them to or being a positive influence, the way we want them to be. to be, and not look at them and say, we have no need of you, Paul says. We have no need of you. It's all right if, we just, if you get chopped off. No big deal. But that's an ungodly, divisive attitude, and that's apparently part of what's happening in the church here. If you don't have some of these gifts, you don't have some of these abilities or talents or skills, you're just not as important, and you're sort of just ignored. Verse 28 gives us another list, and there's some overlap. I'm not going to go into that list. I just I do want to point out verse 18, which I think is the heart of the matter. He says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you are here this morning, in person or online, it is not by accident. And the gifts God has given you, the way God expresses himself through you, and uses you to, to, to bring impact to the kingdom of God is by his design and his choice, and only his choice. Your, and, and so, your job is not to, 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 to just sort of float around wherever you will. Your job is to find your seat and get in it. Your job is to get to work in the body of Christ. Your job is to get connected, plugged in. And start letting the spirit work through you. And not, not standing around going, well, I don't like the way he wants to use me. Or I'm worried that he's going to do something weird. I'm worried I'm going to, like, what if something supernatural happens? How do you become a Christian? That's the most supernatural thing you have ever experienced. God is super weird. He is super, he does weird things. By weird, I mean Unnatural. He is not beholding to his creation in any way. I mean, we serve a God who called one of his disciples, who is no more um, qualified than anybody in this room, Peter. He said, get out of the boat and come here. And Peter gets out of a boat and walks on water. That is... Amazing to Peter and amazing to us, but not amazing to God, because he's like, I'm not beholden to my creation whatsoever. I am Lord over it. I do what I want. I use who I want. And if I want to do something weird, I'm going to do it. We're going to talk about tongues later, but I think one of the... I speak in tongues, and almost every day, and almost every time I speak in tongues, I wonder what in the world is this for? Like, I know the doctrine, okay? I know what the Bible says, that it's good for the heart and expresses inexpressible things. Okay, but it's super weird, okay? And I know that God could accomplish the same thing, whatever it is that tongues is doing in me and doing in the, the Spirit. He could do all of that without me having to do some weird thing, right? Logically, it makes no sense. And that's, I think, part of the point. It is part of the point. It confuses me. It irritates me a little bit. They've got to be weird in order to do it. I just would rather not be weird. And it c- confronts my need to control and own and predict what's going to happen to me and what he's going to do and how he's going to use me. And it requires me to let go and let God, as they say, every time. And I've been speaking in tongues for like, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And every single time I'm going, why, why God, why'd you do this? Why'd you, what's this for? It seems like a weird thing for you to be doing. And he goes, yeah, get used to it. (laughs) I do weird things. We, we, we are believers in a God who died and then rose again three days later. who allows people to get cancer and then heals them from cancer, who allows Lazarus to die and then shows up late on purpose just to raise him from the dead. Wouldn't have been more efficient for you to just show up earlier or just pray from a distance, he would have been healed. Why do you do the things you do? And God says, I'll explain some of it, but most of it I won't. Your job is not to Try to define everything so that you control everything and so that you can pick and choose the things that that you're comfortable with God doing through you. Your job is to say, I am submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord, and that's it. Use me however you want to. The people that have had the biggest impact on the church throughout history have been the people that have done that. God, use me however you want, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. This is why they're the graces of the Spirit and not the graces of you. (laughs) So verse 18, I think, is challenging because it shows us that even your place, let's just talk about Living Hope Church for a minute. And if you're not a member here, this is not like a sales pitch, um, other than to say, hurry up and find a church, right? Right? your your place in here where you fit in this body what body part you are how you're attached is by god's design and you need to find it with like it's an emergency because this is where the significance of your role is in life it's derived from your connection with the body of christ any significance you find apart from being connected to the body is a vapor christianity is not a solo mission we need everybody Somebody's got to be the sphincter. He knew it was coming. I mean, without, there's, apparently, Scott Golson told me there's multiple sphincters, which is encouraging. There's room for everybody. But, boy, when the sphincter stops working, man, it's no good. It's no good. If you're older, you understand what I'm talking about. You got to, anyway. Anyway. I'm not going down that road too far. I've already gone farther than Alan wanted me to. <laughs> but everybody, this is where your role in life is defined. This is how you define what's meaningful and what's not meaningful. Is it, is, are you connected to the body or not? The world offers you a facsimile of significance, meaning, and connection, but it will always disappoint you. It tells you that It's about your control, your gifts, your talents, your dreams, your happiness, your wholeness. So Outside the body, our connection to others is based on the commonalities between those things. So who's got the same, you know, just look at Facebook groups. There's like gajillions of them, and they're all around common interests. What's your hobby? What are you into? What are you not, you know, a lot of it's like, what are you against? What do you hate? Let's gather around that. Your political affiliation or your lack of it. Your talents. Are you artistic, or creative, or a musician, or you don't like creative people, or you don't like musicians, or you like this kind of music and you hate all other kinds of music. Like what? And everybody's kind of gathering around these common things, and, and we just walk around like cataloging our interests and seeing who they align with, and that's who I'm going to be friends with, and that's who I'm going to connect with. That's the world's idea. You either have lots of diversity with no unity or you have lots of unity with no diversity when you get that that's why the race problem is never going to be solved in the world because there's you can't have diversity and unity at the same time but in the church what paul is painting a vision for is both at the same time He's saying you can have all these diversities of gifts, diversity of manifestations of the Spirit, all these different ways that the Spirit uses you, but there's one Spirit. And he repeats one over and over. There's one body. There's one Spirit. There's one Lord. There's one God. There's one church with many members all being used in a beautiful array of diversity. So stop trying to be like everybody else and just let God use you how he wants to use you. God tells us that true joy is in letting go of control, using your gifts and talents to bring wholeness to others and to live God's dream instead of your own. That's where joy is. I talked a lot about death the last couple of weeks. Dying to yourself. The good news is that that old self that died was no good anyway. And real joy is found when you let it die and you embrace whoever he's called you to be. And you just say, I give up trying to predict or control tomorrow. I give up trying to predict how you're going to use me. If you want to use me as the voice or as the pretty face or as the sphincter, feel free, I'm yours, blank check. God, but I want you need to put me in the right seat, in the right place, in the right church, with the right people, and that's what I'm committed to because I don't want to do this by myself. You don't get to choose how you're arranged in the body. If you're a member of Living Hope Church, then you need to get to work where he's connected you. Getting to work begins and ends with allowing the Spirit to manifest himself through you in whatever way, with whatever gifts he sees fit. Nothing held back, no reservations. So here's my challenge to you this morning as we close. Give the Holy Spirit a blank check. As much as you can. I love the song, No Compromise. I'm giving, and I was chuckling to myself. Like, God, God wants this from us. He wants us to say this, but it's sort of silly because we, he already has it. He already has you. He already has control over your life. All we're doing is submitting to it. So the idea of giving him a blank check is kind of like, look, it's not like you're giving him permission. God never needs your permission for anything. He doesn't need your forgiveness. Please don't ever do that. Don't ever say that. You just need to forgive God. That is blasphemous, terrible. You need to repent of, of judging God and having, being angry against him, but You don't forgive God. God already has authority over you. The blank check is you just acknowledging it. you just saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you're in charge. I acknowledge your lordship over me. I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I'm not going to wrestle against you. If you want to make me look like an absolute fool, then so be it. I will be a fool. If you want to put me in the back, in the quiet, and have me do things that no one sees, So be it. If you want to put me in front, because a lot of you, God's called to do things up front, and you are resisting. You're like, mm mm, don't stick that mic in my hand. And you sit here week after week, and the Holy Spirit stirs in you something to say, a message. And you maybe you go, well, I'm not prophetic. I don't really. I don't know if I even believe in all that. So I can't be what this is. It's just my thoughts. You know, by definition, you will always question whether something's from God, if it's from the Holy Spirit, because it's not from you. It's it's from the Spirit, and so it's going to feel foreign. It's going to be like, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't know if I should go talk to that person and ask them if they're okay and if I can pray for them. That's probably just me, or I don't know where that's coming from. It's because it's coming from the Holy Spirit. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You stand up and you say something true or you go over and pray for somebody. Like, is that a fail in any way, even if God didn't tell you to? Like, what have you lost? Take a risk. You got a 50-50 chance of being right. What are you losing? You won't find out until you do it. You won't find out until you say it. I can tell you from experience. You will not know if what you're compelled to do or compelled to say is from the Holy Spirit or from you until you do it. So if you sit there and do nothing, you'll never find out if it was from God or not. And so there's this willingness when you write him a blank check, you're saying, I submit to you in whatever way you want to use me and I will do it. Whether it's in front and gets honor or is hidden away, I'll do it. That's where God wants us. And this is where unity is, by the way, is when we're all doing that. We're all pressing in to saying, I'm submitted to Christ. I'm by being submitted to the Holy Spirit. Do what you will. Use me however you will. Whatever it costs me, I'll do it. Whatever, however intimidated or scared I am, I'll do it. And when we're all doing that thing, the church just hums like a well-oiled machine. It's a beautiful thing. Last night at the men's thing, I was standing there and it's like the church was just humming the way it's supposed to hum, like a machine that's perfectly aligned, watching all these men from different backgrounds and different ages and, and some of us cool like Jamie and some of us dorks like whoever, I won't say, um, and the whole thing is just working. And you all know what I mean. When you're in that kind of environment and a whole thing is working the way it's supposed to work. That's a beautiful thing. And that's the the only way to get there is if we're all submitted to the Spirit. So that's what I want to pray for. Why don't we stand up? I'm going to pray and then sing one last song together, which, you know, this is the point of singing together is we're all singing the same thing, the same truth to the same God. One church, one voice, made up of many people, many voices, singing to the one God by the one Spirit. And so I just want to to pray for you. And then as we sing together, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. You just tell him, you do whatever you want in my life. I am just not going to fight you anymore. And if there's any fight in me, would you deal with it right now because I'm tired of it. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not in control. So I want to pray for us first and then I just want to ask you as we're singing together, just you get before him and you confess to him, you repent to him and ask him to do what he pleases. So Lord, I just thank you for the Holy Spirit. Of all all the other things that he does, he brings us together. He joins us together as one body. He is the the connection in the joints between members. He is the one that holds us together in Christ. So God, I pray for anyone who has believed the lie that they don't matter, that their presence doesn't matter, that their presence has no impact. God, I, I pray that you would show them right now, speak to their heart. And tell them that they're missed and they are important. That they are connected by you. None of us should walk this alone. It's not a solo mission. And God, I pray that you would bring all of us to a point right now, <clears throat> not later, just right now, God, where we are more willing than ever to let you do what you want to do through us. Whatever grace you want to pour out through us, however you want to manifest yourself in us and through us to the world and to the church, do it. God, release us from worry about how we look, whether or not we look like we got it together. God, release us from spiritual kind of control and legalism that associates weird supernatural things with unsafe things. You said, earnestly desire the graces of the Spirit. And so that's what we want to do. God, help us to be willing not to have arguments with you over these things. God, we repent of that and we release that control over to you right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.